from India's largest newsroom I'm Arun George and this is the Times of India podcast Meanwhile the Indian weather department has issued a heat wave warning for multiple parts of North India including New Delhi the national capital the Tamil Nadu government has issued advisory asking people not to venture out unless it's absolutely necessary chinta ki baat ye ki aane wale dinon mein desh ke tamam ilakon mein bhayankar garmi ki bhavishwani ki ja rahi hai across the country the year's highest temperatures are being reported thousands of cases of heat related ailments have been recorded across the country however we have no accurate estimate of heat related deaths The meteorological department has issued multiple warnings in regions for heat waves but we don't know how many people are the most at risk due to such high temperatures. Most states in India now have a heat action plan as a policy to deal with heat waves and high temperatures. But as a study by the Delhi based Center for Policy Research found, many of the plans don't get implemented very well or provide much relief to those most affected by the heat. One of the authors of the report, Aditya Pillai, joins us on the show today to talk about how India deals with heat waves presently and why it will need to change in the coming years. Aditya talks to us about why there's no escaping super hot summers anymore and how we are risking health and economic impacts by not dealing with it properly. So, Aditya, we're recording this on a day when it's a yellow alert in Delhi. Um where temperatures been in the 40s for days now. uh is this an unusual year or is this what we're going to get used to now yeah it's uh, 11:17 in the morning and it's already over 40 degrees this is not uh, an unusual year so far especially this month has not been unusual uh, by any stretch of the imagination delhi does cross into the 40s quite often today we've had uh, a heat wave alert declared um, which means it's going to be exceptionally hot and i think you can see the effects of that on the street but then the question is if a heat wave alert has been declared um how much should it change visibly change uh the functioning of society and the economy and clearly today to my mind apart from these small things pretty much nothing has um, really happened right so which which makes me think about how much we should react to heat waves what's the acceptable amount uh, and for what type of heat the one an unusual moment um, of the summer came actually before the summer which was in feb when we had the hottest feb uh, in history and february is not usually known to be a hot month and last year we had an extremely hot march so this now two years in a row we get um a sense that the temperature spike is coming earlier and that has all sorts of economy wide impacts because economy structure on having relatively cool temperatures till mid march especially agriculture and so on this year we've also had this prediction that temperatures will rise by 1.5 degrees could you explain what that means is it that you like say we are right now at 42 degrees of the highest and uh, the highest temperature today could be like a 42 43 degrees does it mean that we'll be at 45 degrees from next year onwards what happened was the wmo put out a modeling study that suggested and this is a forward looking study it's a forecast for the next 5 years and they asked um how much is temperature going to increase from the pre industrial average 
and this is the global average temperature right so it doesn't mean anything for any specific place it's not an indication that it was supposed to be 43 today it's going to be 44.5 that's that's not how it works so global average some places will heat much more and some places will heat much less they said the chance of us breaching 1.5 degrees of the pre-industrial average 1.5 degree warming for at least one of the next 5 years uh was likely and there there was a 98% probability that the next 5 years will be hotter than the previous 5 but i think what it means i think you step back from the fine print it's important to know a the planet is getting warmer very fast 1.5 is hallowed ground because it is baked into the paris agreement um and it is what all our global collective action has been targeted towards over the last decade or so taking off from that we should learn that there are going to be significant impacts and it's not just heat right it's also about coastal erosion it's about forest fires um it's about sea um sea level rise and what that means for coastal cities it's about river flooding urban flooding all of those things are now brought into the spotlight with uh, a 1.5 increase since we're focusing on heat today um, you know a major tool that we look at and really the only policy we have when it comes to tackling or dealing with the heat is your heat action plan which is now perhaps across the country in a report that you've done for cpr you pointed out that these are largely ineffectual and don't really do much could you explain why yeah so the first thing is not every city um that needs a heat action plan has one not every state has one uh, and not every district has one so we in our study we try to actually uh, take a look at heat action plans and understand what they do and don't do well so delhi right now we have a heat wave alert but we don't have a functioning heat action plan so there are still gaps but the positive story here is that you know in around a decade we went from one heat action plan in amdabad which is the forerunner to all these other cities to today 10 years down the line we found 37 and we definitely think there are more that we weren't able to get our hands on um so that's an encouraging story that heat planning has become something that governments now do and this is happening at a very decentralized localized level right so the fact that it's bottom up i think seems to indicate at some level that heat is recognized as a problem so that's that's the good news we're not at a place where the worst of heat is kicked in so this is the learning period um people are dying through this and we need to make sure that we learn every possible lesson from all these incidents that happen um in terms of the in terms of understanding what heat action plans do and don't do well one of the things that they do and because we had this data set of you know 37 plans we thought okay it's quite cool why don't we actually look at all the solutions proposed and understand what the solution map is and in doing so we realize there's like a wealth of solutions across across the board uh, you name it everything that you've seen in uh, anything about heat plans across the world indian heat plans have that's great um one of the problems is they were not very localized so you have these solutions but are they adapted to the lived reality the local lived reality of a place right some places are humid and human heat can be lethal some places have warm nights which means you can't rest at night 
Um, so there are these questions about the type of heat. There are questions about how that society has dealt with heat in the past, which means how many people have died at this X temperature. If you want to declare a heat wave, what temperature would you declare a heat wave at? So if you were to declare a, a heat wave at a point you know in the past has triggered uh, deaths, which means local adaptation techniques, personal and community adaptation techniques have been surpassed, which is why you get deaths, mm -hmm. then that's when you declare. For that, you need local data on uh, mortality. And then finally, socioeconomically, where are the most vulnerable people? Right? Where are the people who are working heat-exposed jobs? Where do they live? What kind of houses do they live in? Do they have access to electricity and water? So that, that level of localization, we didn't see a whole lot of. Um, vulnerability assessments, for example, which is actually asking these questions about where the vulnerable people live or who the vulnerable people are. So that's you know pregnant women and so on. And so for that, you have, need to have vulnerability assessments. So only two of the 37 two of the 37 heat action plans had vulnerability assessments. Now we know the Jodhpur heat action plans just come out, has a vulnerability assessment. So we're looking at about less than 10% of Indian heat action plans having this. Perhaps the biggest cause of worry is the institutional structure around a heat action plan, right? And the problem there is they're not financed. In most cases, the solution often touted in heat action plans is, can you build our solutions into existing departmental budgeting? And you know as well as I do that states and cities, etc., are fiscally stressed a lot of the time and don't really have the room to take on new, new projects. They're not encased in any sort of legal foundation um, and they have... Uh, no independent evaluations because heat is something that's changing every year. These things have to be revised um, um, every year, which means you need evaluations. And most importantly, I think you need to have a conversation with people who are heat affected while you're revising the plan, which means actually going out there, conducting your chopals and your uh, uh, focus group discussions and whatnot, and coming back and, and rewriting your plans. We didn't see too much evidence of that either. So the questions about the implementation uh, uh, efficacy here, uh, but there are also some positives um, that we found. So, the, but again, I just want to say that these are early days. And the idea behind writing this report was, can we now move things in a direction where um, India can really establish itself as a model for how to deal with one of the worst effects of climate change. So the, I think that's a separate conversation about when heat waves are being declared and so on. But your broader point, I think, stands, which is, um, I think we're now, with heat, we're at a pre-public awareness phase in terms of this heat being substantially different. In a way, think about air pollution in northern cities about seven, eight years ago, even now to a great degree, right? So there's, there is a public awareness issue. Things are being done, notionally at least on paper, things are being done. Um, you have to communicate what heat is to people. And all of these heat action plans have a significant information uh, block of solutions. So that there's a traditional early warning system communication, which is, you know, the IMD will issue an early warning to communicate that. But also once it's communicated, they have activities to go out there and build knowledge and capacity, not only amongst vulnerable populations, but also amongst 
government officials, traffic cops, everyone who has anything to do with the lived reality of a city or a town or a village uh, on, on a day-to-day -day basis. So this is very expansive knowledge building exercise and they also now rely very much on modern communication techniques such as WhatsApp groups um, and of course they have older things like the radio jingles and um, now recently we've seen a bunch of um, STMAs come out with YouTube videos and YouTube shorts. But what I wonder is how effectual they are. So that, that is really the gap because we have solutions on paper. We don't know how well they're being implemented and I suspect there's a variation implementation across the country. But uh, you know, you said that like with air pollution that it's 7-8 years since we started talking about it. You don't really see a sort of um, what, what would you say public outrage or yeah. public demand for a cleaner air or something like that. Can we afford to be as calm about it with heat because it's as uh, direct an impact as say bad air yeah i mean anything in terms of the deaths i mean air is so much higher than uh, heat i mean those that lancet report had massive numbers of people dying because of direct exposure to air pollution and then additionally there is this interaction between um, air pollution and heat which is the Exposure to air pollution will greatly exacerbate the potential for a heat death, which is this paper that came out recently. So air is obviously a really big problem. The public awareness for it is obviously not near enough, especially in a city like Delhi. And I think anecdotally, I think both of us probably ask people, what do you think about this pea super smog that you're in, you can't even see your hand outstretched in front of you? Um, and people say, oh, you know, it's it's just the fog, it's not smoke. I think it's different in different cities, right? I think Bombay, for example, this year, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, it felt like there was a pretty big sort of like pushback on air pollution, especially from civil society and, and folks on the ground, which we haven't seen as much in Delhi. But here's the thing, right? So we, we had, for example, the Delhi government make it a core issue in the last election. So it was an like actual campaign issue. I don't think it's um, the case that there is no increase in public awareness around this. What I've taken away from that is it takes a proper decade, I think, between something popping up in the policy space in a, in a building like CPR or uh, in other places across the country and it becoming um, sort of entrenched in the lived patterns of people's existence, right? So, no, but with heat, can you afford to take that long to, like I'm saying, if we are talking of higher temperatures in hotter places, I mean, we're talking of pretty unbearable temperatures yeah. for long periods of time. And can you say then, say, wait for, no. you know, half a decade before? Personally, I don't think so. I don't think you can wait uh, a decade before because, a dec I mean, think about how quickly things have been moving, right, in terms of the climate impacts. What I'm suggesting is that's the pattern uh, just based on the case of air, right? I, you know, I think localized climate impacts, especially pollution-related hazards, maybe that, that system of public engagement and um, opinion forming operates faster. But in this broad, diffuse, invisible killer, which is what air is, and heat is also broad, diffuse, invisible killer, I think it takes a long time unless you have a concerted political effort to identify this as a problem and the concerted political gains to be made from solving that problem. Now, air is very difficult to solve. 
I think heat is even harder because you can't solve it. There's no stopping the heat. You can stop there. There's no stopping the heat. So all you can do is invest in making sure people don't die. And when people don't die, it's not a new story. So there's something wonky about the political feedback structure around heat and around a lot of adaptation investments. Um, there is a chance. What will change things, sadly and very unfortunately, is a major heat death event. And we've seen that in Ahmedabad where the public machinery kicked into gear. We've seen that in Orissa in the late 90s, public machinery kicked into gear. Telangana now has a cool roofs program. So that, that is a system that sort of spurs the machinery into action. But when it's an organic thing like air, it's invisible, diffuse, and all you have is modeling to suggest what the death, death potential is, um, it feels like that sort of um, absorption of hazards is uh, less efficient in the Indian, Indian public imagination than these sort of like gory uh, death-based events. In terms of adaptation, another thing is uh, how you spoke of various policies can be used to sort of improve our adaptation towards it. But how much is that happening presently and uh, how prevalent are such adaptation measures currently in India? So it's hard to say because our report, I mean, the study we've done is purely based on analyzing the heat action plans themselves. In the next phase of our research will be about the actual implementation. So I'll be able to give you a, a rigorous answer, more rigorous answer down the line. Um, in terms of how much they're being implemented, I think anecdotally we know that some cities actually do care about implementing this stuff. Other cities um, may not have the capacity or awareness. And then there's a third layer of cities that have just released heat action plans as a completely new document. And so we have absolutely no idea. In a way, the question you're asking is very early. In the sense in three years from now, we'll actually, I think, have a much better sense of what the level of uh, implementation is. So these solutions that are proposed, every single heat action plan has a significant chunk related to do's and don'ts. Which means the personal behavioral change is actually at the core. Sorry, could you um, Every heat action plan has a large chunk of it devoted to do's and don'ts. Um, which means personal behavior change is at the core of not only society's response but also the state's response to heat. All of that is just a recognition that heat is now surpassing the personal adaptation capacity of an individual and therefore the state needs to intervene. It's a corrective action but there's a lot that's still happening in the personal realm. But like with air, heat's a bit like that, right? Like if you can afford air conditioning, you have an air conditioned house. But if you can't afford it, then what really do you do, right? Because how do you go around that aspect of it? Because like you've mentioned, the financing is a major part, right? And who foots that bill finally? I think, yeah, it's very similar to air in the sense that I think there's going to be a section of rich, well-heeled, um, well-informed society that sort of blocks themselves off from the environment and that's a good thing that's a good thing that's not a bad thing every person needs to have protection right um, and similarly with the air conditioners that's here it's already here right in, term, in terms of AC sales the national grid is now actually thinking about AC uses like a peak driver summer uh, peak consumption, which was not the case like 10 years ago if you read the papers, um, that's not what we were thinking about. Um, so that is here and I think the trajectory is going to be very much 
AC dominated, but the problem there is it's going to increase India's emissions, which will just increase heat down the line. So it's this permanent death spiral of AC use because it's creating heat and then you use more. And it's a problem for the rest of the world also, of course. And then there's the HFCs, which is the gases that are used in the ACs, which have a significantly higher uh, warming potential than carbon dioxide. I don't think you can step away from air conditioning use. I don't think it's right. I, I think we really need to figure out how to make air conditioning more renewable friendly, make the HFCs less warming, and make it more energy efficient. But that's only one part of it. There are all sorts of very interesting solutions out there, but a lot of them, like in the mitigation space, a lot of them are experimental, not been scaled, so on and so forth. And not of, all of this is cheap, right? Even if it, you're saying yeah. take ACs everywhere, that's, it's not like a lot of this country can't afford that AC everyday kind of thing. When you do, uh, when I was saying, you know, plug it into the renewables, um, and if you think about some sort of storage option, because you can't have the entire country running ACs at night, you really need significant amounts of technology. You need innovation. I think you'll also need tech transfers from companies that are currently leading that are not based uh, in India and making that available cheaply and some level of uh, the global compact around technology uh, transfer should be directed at cooling specifically. If you can bring down costs enough, um, and if you can make sure it's sustainable, then it can occupy a chunk of the cooling needs of the country without destroying personal wallets and the atmosphere simultaneously, right? I'm only saying this because it feels like this is almost inevitable that this will be an air conditioning-led uh, response. It is aspirational. It is an incredibly hot country. Um, and it makes such a huge difference to your lived reality and it gives you energy during the day, you sleep better, all of those things. And especially when kids are involved, um, every parent, if they can afford it, will, will do this, right? So there has to be a, a, a concerted effort in bringing the cost down and making the technology more sustainable. Um, and then building all of these other solutions into it as well. I feel like there has to be a balancing act. But um, with heat rising, one thing that's been noticed is in every city, you, you're hitting new peaks. Chennai is reporting up temperatures it has never seen. Ahmedabad, which started the heat action plan, complains that it's not effective anymore. How much could this affect how our cities are? As in, uh, you spoke about how the GDP itself could potentially fall with this. Uh, could you talk about that aspect? I think there are two questions in that. The first is the broader economic ramifications of this. Um, and in terms of how cities function, I think we're now getting enough evidence to suggest there be significant drops in labor productivity. Right, so this is an ILO study that tries to look at losses in labor productivity, which says somewhere in the mid-90s, we were losing about 4.3% of working hours to heat. Now it's at 5.8% by 2030, I think they suggest, on a very low conservative emissions pathway. Um, and it'll increase over time. Um, Agriculture is a different story because they suggest that over 9% of agricultural labor hours will be lost by 2030. So it will affect cities uh, and, and agriculture slightly differently, but it will affect both very badly. I think it's important to remember that. 
if you can't be working and that's the idea right i think they ha- have established thresholds of when people stop working or forced to stop working if you can't stop working i think the problem is that will start leading to public health problems because um if you can't afford to take a days wage cut then you end up in a situation where you have to go to the hospital or worse if there's also the second order question about whether you can stop working if you want to if you have an employer that does not want you uh, to stop working and does not want to comply with a 12 to 4 restriction on work on their construction site what does one do so then there's a question about how much collective action how much state enforcement are these haps actually implementable and enforceable and it's also 5.8% um i think will affect some sectors worse than others right and some people from some communities and some castes and some areas work in some sectors more than others right so there's a massive um uh, equity problem at the heart of all of this I, the second part uh, the second answer to your question is also about how does it change what cities are and towns are i think if you think about heat action plans let's imagine a world where these heat action plans and all the other plans around climate adaptation are enforced and financed the sum of it is you'll have a very 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 different structure and shape to any sort of city or town right it means changing how the streets are laid out changing what the buildings look like changing how many trees there are what trees there are changing also what land uses which is the most political thing if we want to really prepare for this i think we have to imagine these things differently a bunch of incremental changes i think will lead up to something very different it's not about restarting the whole system but making incremental changes that eventually then lead to a transformational change and these heat action plans all these other plans are actually transformative documents the question is whether you can build the institutional support for it and tweak the solutions to make sure they're effective and all of that but ultimately you're looking at a very different um country if you take adaptation seriously visually it will be different Today's episode was produced by Jairad Singh, Sunai Marathe and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on TY+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, email us at typodcast@timesinternet.in.